Welcome to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Dunham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode. If you're new here, I'm Helen Denham. I'm a mindset mentor for women. I really help women heal at a subconscious level first and foremost so that they can initiate radical change from a place of peace and ultimately create a life that feels like heaven on earth. Let's get into it. So today we're joined by Sarah Alcaldi. We're talking about mysticism, esotericism, soul retrieval, and everything in between. So Sarah is a mystic, spiritual teacher, and author. She's widely known as a leader in the field of spirituality and the esoteric arts, and she uses her intuitive abilities as well as her extensive background in esoteric knowledge to help humanity gracefully tap into our evolutionary potential. She considers it her life's work to connect the higher with the lower, the outer world, with the inner world. Her spiritual teachings and deep insights into the nature of reality create energetic transmissions that activate her audience on a soul level. And her videos are well known for needing to be watched perhaps a few times in order to fully extract the profound wisdom in each episode, which I will say the same about for this episode. This contains just so much wisdom from her, so much juice. I think you all are really going to enjoy this. This is much more, I know it's always spiritual in these conversations, but this one we're really diving deep. So she really gets us to flex our thinking mind, our spiritual mind, if you will. And it's very potent. So while you're listening, you can find us on Instagram. I'm at Helen Denham underscore and Sarah is at the dot alchemist. So as always hit us up, let us know what you're learning, what your takeaways are. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being here. Enjoy. And I'll talk to you on the flip side. First question I love to ask guests is how do you like to start your day off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you go to? Yeah, now it's making matcha. (laughs) (laughs) So um, before, so years ago, actually, I would start my day off with the Christ consciousness meditation. Um, Now I feel like, you know, even meditations go through stages. Our medicine shifts and changes with us. And so now what I really like to do is just start my day off with still ritual. But in this case, it's a lot better than coffee. I'm just excited that I got off the coffee train because I thought that was going to be a lifetime thing. So I have switched them with matcha. And that's um, for now how I start my day. Awesome. What uh, prompted you to make the shift over to matcha from coffee? Um. Uh, a fear about adrenal fatigue, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I've had some very wonky nervous system issues, endocrine issues without my awakening journey. And because of that, coffee was presenting itself as, you know, definitely um, a support system. You know, I, I won't go as far as to say a medicine, but it was definitely a support system for me. And what I have done pretty much throughout my life, even before I knew consciously what I would say, like before I figured out, you know, my energetic template, I figured out pretty much in high school that I have an addictive personality. And so I don't think that I would have used those words. I don't think I would have been that aware, but there was something that went off in high school about me at least getting in touch through my unconscious haze. (laughs) through my complete ego of like, you know, 
you need to put energy in a certain direction or else it turns into some sort of toxic form. Mm. And so, and so what I have noticed is, is that like, I I've taken that addictive energy out in different outlets, always trying to, to never suppress it, always trying to meet its needs in a way that at my level of consciousness, I thought at the time was the best way I could meet those needs. So for instance, what that would look like earlier in my life was poetry at one point, you know, turning that addictive energy that we could call obsession, but it's still coming, its roots are in addiction, um, into, you know, alchemy, into Mm -hmm. poetry and into beauty that is relatable to a certain extent with other people. And then even just having, (laughs) this is, this is, you know, going all the way from unconscious to, you know, like variables, very small shifts that I consider productive, like drinking alcohol, which is a part of at least, I don't know where you're based. I'm based in the United States. And here, if you drink just even on the weekends when you're supposed to quote unquote, that's you're considered a responsible, healthy adult. Mm -hmm. So I don't drink anymore, but growing up, that's what we did. We drank like fish. And so for me, that shift in noticing this addictive impulse within me ended up me transmuting it into, well, energy drinks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like tra- always trying to manage this and then working out. So at one point in my life, I was drawn to working out. So I became a personal trainer. That was a huge outlet which, you know, did cause some injuries in and of itself, but still was a far more productive outlet for me to channel this type of intensity, this type of energy that, so I've always throughout each stage of my life, tried to navigate this energy, knowing that it cannot fully be suppressed, but that I can at least have a healthy outlet to it. And that's even, you know, question unasked, but that's even how I've come into my own gnosis it's through that that intensity or that energy that I've directed in what I would call healthier ways of going, well, I'm going to be curious and study that. Well, I'm going to, you know, and so it does, it, it's like everything else on this plane of consciousness, there's a polarity to it. We can have a very strong inclination towards um, any type of specific energy. And then it's how we express that energy from there. And so I know it started off with, how do you start your day off? But for me, it was like going from energy drinks (laughs) to Mm -hmm. coffee and then to decaf and then to matcha is like, to me, like a, like a a hierarchy of (laughs) health. (laughs) Absolutely. I always love asking that question because it does open up this flower into like, okay, the deeper parts of self, uh, it gives you a little insight into somebody's life path. Um, and I asked that too, because alcohol is definitely a, the next step in my journey. I'm like, I just don't feel good, but I think it's, it's an act of courage to step away from a societal norm like that and figure out how to navigate a social setting. Um, but the, what I really didn't want to miss there was your Christ consciousness, uh, meditation. What does that kind of meditation look like for you? Can you take us through what that practice, what that channeling, I guess, is like for you? Yeah. So I actually used to do Sandra Walters. Are you familiar with Sandra Walter? 
No. She's an ascension guide. And so this was this was back when this was about maybe uh, she might still do them actually. So it might still be available. But I remember I was really into that perhaps maybe like six years ago. So I would do these Christ consciousness um, meditations. They're especially more powerful on Sundays because they're done globally mm. twice a day on Sundays. And yeah, they're very powerful. Um, I move, as you can imagine, being a channel myself, I move through stages and cycles of different I could call them like flavors of consciousness, different, you know, I, I have a very keen instinct and intuition for gnosis. And so it can come dressed up as a man yelling. It could come dressed up as an, you know, a very love and light ascension guide. I just know who has gnosis and who doesn't. So to me, I don't really let appearance of whatever or school of thought. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I'm drawn to gnosis where it lies and I can I have that ability to be able to um listen to different types of knowledge bases or backgrounds or perceptions of reality and then you know from there really see what my own place within that cosmology fits into. So yeah, the Christ consciousness meditations um are very powerful. Mhm. Uh, excuse me, how do you differentiate the energy that comes in? You know, so if it's one of your guides or um, another dimensional being, or how can you tell that it's Christ consciousness coming in, for example? That's a really good question. So how I can personally tell that it's Christ consciousness coming in is there's a peace and a relaxation. So even though there's a strong intensity within the energies that are being received, Christ consciousness feels very expansive and kind of like this uncondi you know unconditional love is called many things we, we call many things that unconditional love has this ability to allow all to be wherever they are at in their own journey in their own phase of consciousness and yet still be able to have that higher impulse, have that higher, let's just call it desire or push for consciousness, but in a way where it's not overriding a person's free will. So there's this expansive energy. Basically what I just said, if it was an equation, it would be like that impulse towards consciousness, because the more a being goes towards consciousness, the, the less you think a collective would be in unconscious suffering, right? There's conscious suffering and then there's unconscious suffering. Conscious suffering is inevitable, but it, that's where alchemy has the possibility for transmutation. Unconscious suffering is just samsara. It's we're repeating things and we're calling it fate and we're really not coming from... Um, the higher centers from our higher knowing. We're not coming from our godhood. So with Christ consciousness, there's this impulse. You know, it's not like, oh, I don't have any agenda for you at all. You can be whatever you want. No, the impulse is towards consciousness because with more consciousness, with more um, 
connection or remembering of our true nature, there will hopefully be less unconscious suffering. So you have this impulse towards consciousness, towards unity, but you also have this complete, absolute, like, um, free will ability to hold that space while still understanding that other people don't need, it's not demanding. They don't need to, you don't, they don't need to be at that level. So those two equal this kind of like very expansive consciousness that emanates from the heart center. It, it also emanates from the third eye region as well, but it's this expansive state of peace but um, but a piece that has a will still. So that's where we come in and we start inserting our will, which at that point, when you're when you've already united, when you're already operating from unity consciousness, there's no more dichotomy. There's no more like, well, I'm a human and I have free will, and then there's this higher power and it has a free will. Those have been reconciled already. So there's no longer a higher power saying like, you need to be this way or whatever, because you already have merged, not fully, but you've already merged. You've awakened enough to have your will align. It's kind of like back to the matcha thing. It's mm -hmm. like, that's funny that we were talking about that in the beginning, because it's like, you get to a point of health where you go, well, I don't want to drink, let's say, coffee. Let's pretend coffee's horrible. <laughs> okay, it's not, but let's just pretend it's horrible. Mm -hmm. It When the being goes, I don't, for health, I don't resonate with coffee anymore. That would almost be like a microcosm example of how the, the individual's will has aligned with the higher power or the divine will. It's not by a force, it's by the person already aligning into that space so that they're one. Hmm. And so because of that, Christ consciousness is really this ability to allow others their own journey while also striving towards the impulse of unity consciousness. So it's neither too passive and it's neither too aggressive or, um, or, it's neither too overactive and it's neither too passive. Oh, I love your description of that. Yeah. And I figured I should ask you that so that we can touch on kind of like the simplicity of coffee and alcohol, but like there's a much deeper system going on under there, which is suffering and feeding into kind of a void. How do you even perceive that void that people who face addiction can experience or, you know, anything like that? Like, what is that impulse to almost like self-harm or to pacify um, what do you think that is? Because I love when you talk about, you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is a choice kind of thing, but where do you think that kind of density is and why is it in existence and how does it relate to our human experience? If that makes sense. Absolutely. So it's acting as a buffer between us and higher states of consciousness at a certain point when we wake up and I, I'm never going to lose sleep if someone drinks. You know what I mean? Like as long as a person's not harming children or or pets or animals, like I don't care because I really, you really get into a space at a certain point of the journey where you're, I'm not saying I'm free of judgment, mm -hmm. but you get to a space where you can be very discerning of where, what needs judgment and what doesn't. 
So if somebody drinks, I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) But there is naturally, just as we were talking about natural degrees going into what we would call health, this abstract concept of whatever that person defines as health. With drinking, there is a certain level of putting the body through things that it, if it had to say, if you gave the body a voice, it would say, I really don't want to drink that. Please don't make me drink that. You're putting that in my body. I, I, I don't want to make anyone feel bad because I don't care. Oh, well, you can talk directly to me because this is what I'm navigating right now. I still drink like red wine and things, but I have this exact experience. Like my body's like, please don't. And then I still drink it. And that's okay. I'm not even judging myself, but just curious on your perspective of this. Totally. So yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to drinking, it's one of those things where when, when we step into naturally, this is just naturally going to happen. When we step into more degrees of health, there are things that we will no longer resonate with. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that'll be like, oh, like you just peel something off. Sometimes it'll be harder. I've had stages where I'm like, wow, I'm completely over that. I had to get a massive infection to get over smoking my own rolled tobacco. <laughs> and I tried everything to convince my higher self that I could I could do both. I was like, no, look, I got bamboo <laughs> paper. It's organic. And then I was like, look, this is from, this is tobacco from Europe. They don't spray the same stuff there. Like I, I wanted to keep that comfort, that security blanket, probably the most out of perhaps all of them along my journey. And I had like this massive infection on my hand. Could write a book about it, but I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um And so I had to like not smoke for six weeks, basically. So I couldn't roll my own things and go out and look at the moon at night. Like I love to, but at that point it wasn't even just at night. It was like, honestly, like every 45 minutes. So it was bad. And so I couldn't for six weeks. And then finally I made up that I could go back to doing it. So I went back and I rolled one and I smoked my little hand rolled tobacco at night and my lungs, um, burned. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I went, you know what, whether you want to look at it this way, whether you want to call it grace or not, you have this grace of this window that you had, you were forced into, and now you could take it or you could train your lungs to like this again, but you didn't really like it in the first place. And I knew that after the six weeks. So I went, you know what, I'm just going to take this window of grace (laughs) because the reason I call it grace is I wasn't going to stop on my own. So Hmm. I've been right there too with tobacco. There's something so wonderful about smoking something once in a while, but yeah, I think my journey was similar, but I had to get under to like, what's triggering me to roll the next one. Is there an anxiety that I'm covering? And I think it leads us into a conversation too, about the nature of suffering, um, as part of the human experience. And I mean, do you think that we ever really get through that or is it something that we can shift our perspective around to understand pain as something that's an opportunity every time that arises to get us closer and closer to an essential piece? Yes, because that's the way that this universe is designed. So I saw this one meme one time that pretty much summed it up. It was like, you got to go inside like you got to pass the dragon or you got to go in the cave to go get the gold, something like that. And that's how this universe was set up. So there can be 
different universes that operate under different laws. And that's cool. The hardware of our brain is designed to not even conceptualize other universes. That's why we go like, oh, there's nothing after light. It's like, that's not very humble, you humble people. (laughs) It's just because we cannot conceive, we're not supposed to. Yeah. Why would we be able, then we can't commit to the universe we're in if, if we can conceive of all these things. So within this universe, it is set up to be um, light and light casts a shadow. So the deeper into this universe you go, the darker and denser the shadow goes because the the thicker the polarity, the split happens between that light. And so that is also go figure what I'm also calling addiction. The deeper you go into this reality. And that's why another way I I told this to the people who I just had on a retreat that week. And they're like, Whoa, I was like, Sam star is just another word for addiction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like we're all, we're all addicted. And that doesn't mean that the physical body, it, it doesn't mean we can be in harmony with this experience. There's always an exalted way to express any energy. So I'm not saying that in this case, all I'm saying is, is that when there's unconsciousness, so when a, a being is not conscious and then they're deep in polarity, that's like a, that's a basic math equation for, you know, a lot of suffering. But the other side of that coin, the one that you were talking about is, yeah, there's effing art. Like that. the beauty of this reality is that, you know, the, the darker, the challenge, the greater, the reward is, is the potential. And Mm -hmm. so with that, that's in and of itself an alchemy. And that is the, that is the blessing. And that is the curse of this reality. I love how you just phrased that. Like that light casts a shadow, just that simple thing just triggered something in me that was like, yes, absolutely. And it's reminding me of this quote that I was seeing the other day, like um, pain needs somewhere to live beyond the body. So getting it out into writing, or as you were saying, poetry, like moving your pain through into art. Absolutely. I love that way, that lens of thinking. So I know you talk a lot about mysticism as well. So I'm curious to understand what your perception is of mysticism. Does it differentiate from like spirituality or like, how does it differentiate from religion, spirituality, all these other kind of dimensions and Um, what does mysticism even mean to you or look like? That's a great question. Mysticism to me looks like direct experience. So everything before what I call gnosis. Gnosis is when you have direct experience. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, perhaps um, in Eastern tradition, sometimes in specific ones, there would be a guru and they wouldn't even speak. They would just literally be like, telepathing information to a person at a certain point. I was like, that, that, that'd be a nice gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That also has the potential to be like, the emperor is not wearing any clothes, you know, like that that's right for, you know, yep. charlatans, but that mysticism to me is when the tricycle wheels have served their purpose. So that's knowledge. We need knowledge. I know spirituality has a mixed reception with knowledge, you know, it's, it's one that's revered, but then it's also one that it's like looked at as like just strictly information that will clutter the mind. Knowledge is different than information. So 
any type of spiritual structure will always start off with what I call the exoteric. That will be the outer ring of teachings. Those are the ones that we're most familiar with. Even in mysticism, that still applies. So there's these outer rings, and then you could call it an initiation. But in any spiritual system, so right now I'm speaking about mysticism, the deeper you go into that system is supposed to, the, the main difference with mysticism versus religion is with religion, it's more like there's a mediator and that's the end of the story. With mysticism, you go deeper and deeper into whatever spiritual system it might be in order for the tricycle wheels to eventually be able to come off. That's not a guarantee. That's not a promise, but that's the goal. And once those tricycle wheels are off, the being now can receive information from whatever they want to call it. They could call it their higher self. They could call it their higher power, whatever name they want to give it, God, source. Um, but the, the goal is to be able to um, connect with their own direct experience. When we're in direct experience, we could get information now. And if we were told, oh, that symbol meant one thing. In direct experience, we could be told the symbol was that. And nobody might have told a person that. And it's because they're now like, like mission accomplished. Like they're now able to, they're coming from the unprogrammed being. They're more connected to their soul essence. And because they've developed their soul essence, now they're starting to get back to that telepathing. Now they're just telepathing things. And even if there's not a guru necessarily in front of them, they're being given direct experience. That's what Gnosis is. So I operate now from Gnosis, but my past was in mystery schools and teachings. And so because of that, I can act like a coherent bridge between logic reason and between intuition or what we would just call mania popping in for a moment to chat with you guys about my private one-on-one -on -one mentorship series this is a two-month-long container with me where we meet on a weekly basis and it's for the woman who is really ready to initiate big change in her life if you've set the intention to make a shift and move forward in a big way in your life, but you don't really know how to bring that vision into focus, I understand that feeling. I've been there, I've felt that confusion, that anxiety, lack of direction, and I've learned how to alchemize that discomfort and to change my life completely, which is why I'm here, to show you how to do it and give you the tools that helped me completely change my life so that it feels more like heaven on earth and less like this daily struggle. So if you have been feeling like you're struggling with negative self-talk and confidence, if you've been feeling stagnant in your personal evolution, if you need help navigating a major transition in your life, maybe you wanna launch a soul-led business but don't know where to start, this is the container for you. This is where I'm gonna hold your hand and we're gonna get you to a new paradigm in two months. And changing our lives really means changing our understanding of self, which is why we're gonna be doing deep subconscious work together. We're gonna to be instilling new habits and beliefs that support your new paradigm. And we're clearing out the old ones that don't support that highest self that you are aligning with and calling in. 
at the end of the day, you are the guru and we're just activating that intrinsic part of you. So if you feel like this is in alignment for you and this is really what you need, especially in this new year, just head over to HelenDenham.com. You will see where you can learn all about the mentorship and you can book a completely free non-committal power session with me for 30 minutes where we can get to know each other and decide if this is the right course of action for you. All right. Thank you so much for listening and back to the episode. Gnosis is the first time I've heard this. It's like, so Gnosis is like a knowing. Yes, it's mm. exactly. It, mm. It's it's knowing. So it's like, well, how do you know? A lot of times people will like almost don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. I, I I get, you know, recognized, but you know, there's always a small percentage that are like, well, you're making that up. How did you know that? Like I've been studying and I did, it's like, you could study a system for a long time and still not develop gnosis. A person can also study a system for a small time and develop gnosis because in this lifetime, we're not coming out. We're not coming into this life with a blank slate. We have momentum. We have, mm-hmm. you know, like we were high priestess. We're coming into this life with so much, you know, a lot of times we don't even, we have these things activated and we don't even know how to like drive the, the vehicle because we've come in and we might ha- not have the full memory, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the full momentum. Mm. So do you find that it's like a remembering that you're going into when you are reaching Gnosis and when you're peeling back these layers, it's almost like a remembering of who you were before you entered this embodiment? Right now, how I've been experiencing it for the past few years has been as the closest word I can call it is a freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, oh, just freedom. I make up whatever I want. Meaning like I came from certain places, but now I, or a sovereignty is another word would be a sovereignty. I'm my own authority. So when I learn things in the past, I look at them now as a channel and I look at them and I rearrange the knowledge. I, I go like, oh, okay. That was told to me, but then because I'm connected, I have my own connection with my higher self. I go and I just kind of tap into a new synthesis. So even systems that I have learned, you know, in another chapter of my life, they might have some truth to them, or they might have some things in their core that I resonate with still, but I could have lost maybe like 80 or 60% resonance with the entirety of it. But there's still core valuable jewels or diamonds within teachings that I will possibly have a core resonance with. That's something that I think is really tricky to navigate for any person on any leg of their spiritual journey. It's like, Wait, so I don't believe that, that that's why I'm a teacher of discernment and nuance. It's because there is a fine difference between understanding that if we're learning from a certain spiritual school, we can't change that school, but we can go, okay, this is what they believe. I resonate with this, this, and this. So we can become aware if we're pulling but sometimes people aren't aware that they're pulling and sometimes they're trying to make the school a different one. And it's like, 
whatever spiritual system it is, it, if it's, you know, a mystery school, if it's religion, whatever it is, a lot of times on the journey, we mistake whatever belief system we're in. Like, I'll give you, I'll give you a very clear example. My mom's Catholic. They do not believe in reincarnation. They don't. She's super Catholic, except she's like, no, but there's reincarnation. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. like, you can resonate with some, but you can't say for, for her, she knows that that's not a Catholic thought, mm-hmm. but it's like, we can see where we resonate with certain things from, but as long as we're aware of that, okay, I'm not going to like, oh no, Catholicism believes in reincarnation because I do. And I want them to, you get what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like that. So there's a lot of different nuances and discernment I teach. And a part of that, a large part of that is being able to pull things out. I have a resonance with still. I'm not changing the system in order to fit my needs. I have a resonance with still. But other than that, there's just a lot of other ways that that can be updated or synthesized. Because just because we started off learning a school of thought, or just because we started off in whatever spiritual systems that we resonated with, we, if we change, if we evolve, not all of these core resonances stay with us, but sometimes if they do, then we modify the way that they show up in our teachings. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And it, and it feels like we're kind of getting back to source essence and our, our authentic self and like the pillar of that at the end of the day, because I think you were just helping me reframe when we think about remembering past lives or, you know, all these things, we're still in like this time linear time space. And that seems to just kind of collapse because every uh, incarnation seems to be just a, a blossoming of the flower of life out of source energy though, which in in remembering is just coming back to that energy, which is beyond, um, the time and space dimension and reality. Um, yeah. And I love that you're talking about discernment and I'm curious to know more about what you learned in mystery school. And I hear mystery schools like talked about, but I, I don't really know how to comprehend it. Like what are mystery schools? Is this like one particular, um, teaching or are there many mystery schools or can you enlighten us there on what's going on? Yeah. So there's many different ones. And they'll all have their own creation story. They'll all have their own story about Jesus. Yeah, they'll vastly differ in all of those different degrees. For me, what it was was forums that I was attracted to. And so so I would go into these forums and I would learn from whether it was channeled information or whether it was hermeticism, which was the one that I've been most drawn to and the the forums that I strongly um, dived, immersed myself in the most. But I'm pretty self-taught for all of, for all of it. And what I mean is I, you should see my book collection. <laughs> I would go into these different places and it's not that I love conflict, but I'm really good at debate. I'm very good at debate and I'm very good when it comes to um, being put in situations where you have to defend a belief. And it's not because I need to defend the belief, but it's because I want to break a belief. Mm -hmm. If a belief can be broken, then please debate me so it can be broken. 
it helps me gain clarity and it helped me know thyself. So because of that, I was always attracted to really like, you could call it like antagonistic or just very bleak, you know, um, because esotericism, I use esotericism different than mysticism, even though they do, I could use that term interchangeably. But the reason why I, I differ in some respects is because mysticism to me is all about being able to attain direct experience. With esotericism, that can happen. That's not always the goal. What's so the goal of esotericism? Esotericism can have the goal of being able to develop gnosis, but with esotericism, what happens more so is that it's still about, <laughs> I don't know a nice way to paint this. So with <laughs> esotericism is typically about get the hell out of matter. <laughs> uh -huh. if, I, if I had to just sum it up, if I had to be reductive, it's wrap up whatever you were doing here. Uh, you know, Terrence McKenna actually had a great quote that summed it up. It was like, esotericism is like the practice or preparation for death. <laughs> kind of visceral. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much, you know, it's wide and varied as well. But the whole, if I had to like, be like, what's the goal of esotericism versus what I just said about the goal of mysticism they, they overlap absolutely for sure. But if I had to give distinctions, esotericism would be more about their, you know, alchemy, even if it's not hermetic esotericism, esotericism in general always has their own system of alchemy. And that alchemy is based in one form or another of the material plane needing, needing to be, uh, rectified and transcended. Now, me being a modern mystic, <laughs> I've had to, within myself, examine those systems and update them, let's, let's just call them that, within my own being to see if I, you know, how I resonate, because information is always being, um, information is always evolving. So even though I revere and, and I came from, you know, my background is in the esoteric arts and my background is in mysticism, the whole point is to still be able to rectify that within oneself. And if things don't fit, then a, per, a being is holding back and, and turning, choosing uh, subconsciously or unconsciously choosing something that now has turned into dogma. I'm not saying that those teachings are dogma, but when a person is evolving and expanding their consciousness, but they won't because, well, I learned this one thing, they're coming from a dogmatic perception because yeah. it's not coming from their inner truth. It's not coming from, okay, how can I make this work for myself? It's coming from, no, I can't believe that. I can't entertain that because this thing told me that. So maybe that's not a problem for some people. I know a lot of modern mystics actually where there's not that issue. They go, nope, for instance, in Gnosticism, I still see people talk about Gnosticism and they act like that's not based in duality. I, I might be getting off topic, but the point being is, is that people don't even know that they've outgrown systems to the point where when they're speaking about them, they don't know that they're saying something and it's causing cognitive dissonance within their own being. Yeah. So all I'm saying is let's just be, let's just get it all out and see like, okay, what do I still agree with? What don't I? So that there's no cognitive dissonance.
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like what you're saying about dogma, setting up a framework that kind of caps us almost. And for me, when I think about that, it's like, it strips away curiosity. And when I find myself connecting to source more actively, it's when I'm in a state of curiosity to know myself more deeply and environment. And like you were saying, ask, like, is it true? Can this be disproved where I think there, there ends up being a really beautiful marriage and parallel between science and quantum physics and the spiritual realms, because it's all kind of the same purpose to keep unfolding, to keep searching for a truth that makes more sense and to get excited when something even is disproved. Cause then we get to know, uh, the universe even more deeply. So yeah. I want to know more too, about how you got into this work and into this knowledge. Like, I mean, take us on any part of your journey that you'd like to, but what brought you into this work that you're doing now? Oh, wow. So the work I'm doing as a spiritual teacher, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. how did you get into spiritual teaching and mysticism? Like, was there something that happened? Was there an awakening for you? Was there something that shifted you on like a cellular level that shifted you into this lifestyle or awareness, not lifestyle? What's the saying? It goes, I didn't choose the gangster life. The gangster <laughs> life chose me. <laughs> I didn't choose the esoteric life. The esoteric life chose me. <laughs> I, <laughs> Yes. I instantly like in college, mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, maybe, maybe your viewers or maybe you like there was before 2012, there was this, um, snowball effect of energy building up to 2012. And that came with a lot of documentaries that came with a lot of like occulted information being de-occulted, meaning information that was once hidden. And so I was really into, okay, I'll tell you a funny story. So I had this college professor and it was the last day of sociology. It was very nice. He's always really funny. And then the last day he turns the lights off and says, I'm going to show you guys a documentary. If you rat me out to the Dean, I'm going to flunk you. And that was weird coming from him because he was just all nice or whatever. And, oh. and then he shows us this one movie. <laughs> and it's like tearing apart our the fabric of our reality. It's like nothing is true. Like it's like we don't know anything. <laughs> and and for me, I was waiting for that moment. Um, I was waiting for that trigger because I had always been someone who felt like I had a mission. And then I was told I was bipolar, and I was told by people I'm intense. And don't get me wrong, I am intense, but. I was just always out of context is my point. So me just being this overactive flame, <laughs> constantly out of context, um, and you don't know what the heck is going on, that was kind of like, all right, man, things are crazy on earth. Like, like yeah, like at least I saw things that like match my intensity. And so that just gave me the permission slip proverbially to really go into what I consider fringe. Fringe just meaning anything. It could be about esotericism. It could be about aliens. It could be about, you know, like the planets. Astrology could have been even considered fringe. So it allowed me per a permission slip to go into what I would consider the fringe realm, which is just anything that was taboo to talk about at that time. So I believed in a lot of things even at that time that I have zero resonance with now. But at least at that time, it served as some sort of, you know, like, I guess you could call it medicine at that time. And so for me, I look at it like the Candyland game. Mm -hmm. I don't, are you familiar with that game? Yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Okay, I look at it like 
when I talk to certain people and I get asked this the most, this is probably one of the most asked questions I get, like, where did it start for you? Or, or how did you become, what did you become? I look at it like we, like, I didn't know that other people can start off at a different part of the, of the candy land. <laughs> I thought we all just start off in the deep, dark forest and that mm-hmm. you go from there into, you know, like just more deep, dark forest. Like I didn't know I was on a journey. So for me, I was, I was very drawn to the most bleak, to the most, what people would call like depressing aspects of this reality. This is what even, this is the concept. I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept like prison planet. Yes. Like slave planet, like Anunnaki kind of history, all of this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't resonate mm-hmm. with that paradigm anymore, but yeah, all of mm-hmm. that stuff, all, all of the, we're, we're farmed. Um, this is how we're farmed. Like a- anything bleak yep. you could think of. I had, I'm here for it. I, I was all about that. And then so the fact that other people, and this is, I, I'm impressed that this is by no means anything that I'm dissing. The fact that other people had different experiences where they're like, oh, I started off because like, I was, I, I got into, you know, like sound bowls. <laughs> I was uh-huh. like, oh, that's quite enough sound bowls existed at that time. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I couldn't sleep for like years. <laughs> I was being interacted with. Mm. And I, so basically what I know now, what I didn't know at the time, you can't know everything at the time. It ruins the surprise of you, of us, of whatever is being created. What I didn't know at the time was I was going through a shamanic initiation. Hmm. And that's why my soul was always so quote unquote intense and so drawn to the fringe and had all of the, had all of the bandwidth in the world for the most desolate and the darkest elements of this reality um it was a shamanic initiation and so i know now that i went through certain experiences that other people weren't going through and that i didn't really have a mirror for or a guide for because that was the shaping into the shaman Mm. i wouldn't have been as inspired or as (laughs) um motivated to reach out to the different paths that I went down if I hadn't have had, if I hadn't had had the type of um, negative information that I was learning about and the negative experiences with negative beings that I was having. So all of that led to, you know, a motivation, a desire to not be in that um, state. And so that's when I got really into soul retrieval work. And I started, you know, I just bought a a book off of eBay at that time. Um, It was really cheap. And I was drawn to soul retrievals. I was reading this book about soul retrievals. And then um, from there, I was really starting to just intuitively piece together. I'm like, wait, esotericism is saying this, these things about these belief systems. Soul retrieval kind of fits in, even though nobody gave me that permission slip or or made that connection for me. I went, if esotericism is all about developing the soul, that's what esotericism, that's one of their huge goals is developing the soul. If the essence of the being doesn't have strong, if, it, if the soul doesn't have strong essence, essence you could look at as like the material, like our divine material, our original nature, 
-hmm. If the being doesn't have strong essence, then the being won't have enough soul. They won't be in a phase of development of their soul enough to be able to, um, whatever the end goal is. If the end goal is merged with their higher self, merged with the divine, um, there's a lot more bleak belief systems that go deeper into why the soul is needed to get at that state. But there's all just one way or another, this need for the soul to be in a more developed state. And so I made my own little connections in the time there going like, well, soul retrieval kind of seems, even though it's from different belief systems, different, you know, everything. The shamanic act of soul retrieval is probably would help soul development. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So um, I I don't know if this helps, but I'm a projector in human design. Me too. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So and what's I, your sun sign, by the way? While we're at that, Leo. You're Leo. Cool. I'm Leo, a sun and moon. Oh, oh cool. cool. Love well, this. I'm on the cusp. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the cusp of oscillation with Cancer. Awesome. <laughs> cool. So yeah. I, so when I w- I study a system, like a lot of times people can't understand where I come from. And it's because I like, you know, since you're a projector, it's like, I can't, it's very easy for me to explain, oh, I mastered a system. It's like, what you just, you just learned a lot. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's literally what we're here to do. We're literally here to master systems. hundred percent. I'm so glad you brought that up. Somebody just reframed this in such a good way, or just like an empowering way for projectors in particular, because since we've got the systems figured out and we're like birds in the trees kind of like saying, okay, here's where the group can go successfully to get to the next step. That can be um, a little off-putting or intimidating to people to come in contact with because they, it's just like, why don't I know that? It's like, it's okay. You're a master at these other places. So the projector like wound of being seen and witnessed and being able to be maybe a step ahead of the group just objectively um, is, is a wounding I've been working through as well. But I love that you're also bringing up like, I love that your college professor showed you that movie. And that's something I miss about college is like debate and just getting those conversations going and having like a social discourse kind of in a classroom. But I so relate to your um, curiosity of the darkness and all of these occult stories and all of these things. And I had the very similar situation. I just started to study this. And then my journey was then into plant medicine and mushrooms and experiences with, um, extra dimensional beings that came through. And, um, just one night, really, I had a dark experience with kind of a darker being that showed up at my window. And I had to just be like, okay, that was my first experience. But I wanted to ask you too, about your experience with extra dimensional beings. And what can you tell us about what you've discovered there? Oh, so much. Um, there's different levels of reality. So it's not that like we should not negate them, but then at the same time, they don't need to be fully realized and fully immersed in, uh, I know I'm being vague in that, but it's because there's strong movements in this age for disclosure and even those timelines, I would say that that would be the level of reality that I was being interacted with. So, so yeah, they don't need to be interacted with at that level. Like we don't need to like, it's a real reality, but we don't need to like bring that in and be like, this is the paradigm collectively we should experience, but everything's an initiation. If you look at it as an alchemist, um, 
so when it comes to specifically the interactions, they were pretty much on that plane. I could call it the law of one material plane. I don't know if you're familiar with the law of one. Kind of. Can you remind us? Because yes, but I'm not yeah. remembering it clearly. That. The only reason I use that terminology is just because it happens to be the one people understand the most. But um, it's like basically based off of there being star seeds and there being, um, you know, the opposite of star seeds, negative, malevolent, hostile, interdimensional beings. Mm -hmm. And so this whole play that's going on, um, where I fall into that category is a star seed. And even that is like a term that, you know, I we could go on and on and on about. But that's just like in a nutshell, I always felt like I had a mission here. And then that gets turned into you're bipolar or you're this or this or that. But once I just had that trigger, you know, like all star seeds need is a trigger. It's not like nobody needs to get gaslit into the star seed thing. I think that mm. that's what people who aren't star seeds don't understand. It's not like this collective gaslighting, like a, I don't know, like religion or something. Like it's not like you get put in a corner and like, to, like star seeds just get, they just get triggered and they go, oh, like there's a remembrance that comes in. And so for me, there was a lot of remembrance happening, but like there was no rest in between that paradigm and hey, this is that remembering what it was about. <laughs> hmm. So I was being interacted with by a lot of, so anytime a person's interacted with, there's some sort of core match. I know that we think that that's like a new age concept. We think that the new age goes, oh, you attracted that and like reduces that. But that's actually just the way this reality works. And I studying with a shaman who's not new age at all, being initiated, not new age at all, can tell you that if you are being interacted with in negative interdimensional ways or by negative, you know, higher dimensional forces, there's some sort of match. Mm -hmm. That's why that's why it's so important to do inner child work, because if a person wanted to never learn about past lives, never wanted to learn about cosmology, source, if a person literally just wanted to heal in whatever way that they view that that term means, they can just do it all through their inner child. They could do it all through like, what happened at age five? Whatever, because everything's a fractal. So if you're just going back to this life, you can't be held accountable for things from past lives or simultaneous lives. So, so yeah. So if we have some sort of core resonance here, it can mean a few things. In my case, it was contracts that I was holding because I'm, I have a lot of different um, dimensions to my being. So my name's Sarah, but I have, I guess you could call it a group consciousness. So because of that, some people come in with, with contracts and they might be like, wow, that's like a really heavy to know that a person has an aspect of their oversoul or a, an aspect of themselves that's um, in a completely different experience. We could call it off planet or a different dimension, but that is, you know, like, hostile or a lot of times like a planet blew up 
Mm. As an energy healer, sometimes I track a person's grief and it's like, it's, you know, linked to like, a literally, it's not even from this lifetime. It's yeah. like they witnessed their home planet being blown up. So there's just a lot of different reasons why we're interacted with or why we even have certain emotional temperaments. And so for me, it was really about a part of my mission was coming here to integrate larger forces that don't get along. Mm. But to have that, you have to have that in you because you'll attract it. So once again, didn't know any of this at the time. You don't really get those cliff notes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, the way I could best describe it is put a Pleiadian and an Orion like cats in a bag. And <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> just wait for them to like, make love or like get along or after they're done fighting. <laughs> I love that. I also like, I just really love what you're saying too, about being a vibrational match to something for it to be able to enter. Because looking back on when I had that experience that felt dark and scary and heavy, I was transmuting a lot of that fear in general. I was doing a lot of drugs, all, all these like just heavy, heavy darkness, moving through eating disorders, depression. So it was like this bubbling up and this expression of that. And then the shift was like, okay, so I either I can subscribe to this or I can move out of it. So knowing that there's a truth to it um, for a certain collective, perhaps, is just not something I subscribe to anymore. And it sounds like you also kind of navigated that and then chose a different frequency, I guess, to land in. Um, so when you talk about soul retrieval, what's happening um, in a soul retrieval? My final kind of topic for you to dive into, like, what happens with when you're talking about soul retrievals? Yeah. So when I'm talking about a soul retrieval, I needed, when I went to my shaman for soul retrieval, three just regular sessions before we even were able to prepare the soul retrieval. Now it's funny because coming from that background, I now work in the quantum field and it's not similar at all, but it's kind of similar in one sense. And that's the soul retrievals happen a lot faster to the point where, because my modality works faster, a lot of, a lot of me first starting off doing this new, cause I always upgrade my modality. I've been enormously like physically ill in my life. You know, like I, I, I overcame autoimmunity, mm. all of this darkness, you know, took a toll on my immune system. So I've had to transmute a lot in my lifetime. You'd never know from my voice. I used to have Hashimoto's, huh? Mm amazing. So, um, so the soul retrieval work, how it started off is like through my shaman who did three sessions on me just to prepare my body and energy field for retrieving this aspect of my soul. And then doing that whenever the energy field had enough resources to go, yeah, I can retrieve an aspect of the soul and it will stick. So it's kind of like preparing the body and the energy field for retrieving this piece. Mm. The way I do it, because my modality, I'm always learning new energy, energy modalities. And then I'm always, you know, like upgrading how I do mine based off of what I like about the new ones I've learned. It's become a lot quicker now. And because of that, I was, I had an issue at first when I was performing soul retrievals, because I'm like, well, my shaman would go and, you know, I'd have sessions with her first. And then 
And then it was a lot, it was a large process. And just because of the way the quantum works, it's a lot easier now. So it's a lot faster. So what I had to work through at first was like, almost like not, yeah, it was like a disrespect almost because mm. they're done in the form of frequencies. And so knowing that some of these frequencies that the higher self will choose is giving all of the information within that frequency, kind of like coding for web page, if you will, these frequencies give that are given to the client's energy field can impact them in like a way that is quick, like faster than these larger things that the frequency is representing. So one of the things I had to work through was actually going like, cause now if I wanted to, at this moment, I could perform a soul retrieval on myself. <laughs> and so I, I had to work through at first, just being like, okay, like this isn't rude, right? <laughs> but it, it, it's it's different. That's yeah. how quantum modalities are moving into, whether it's mine or someone else's. We're all doing things in the quantum field now, but the shamanic field is fourth dimensional. The quantum field is fifth dimensional or and above. Mm. So because of that, um, a, a shamanic soul retrieval is done in a completely different way by a shaman than it would be from a quantum practitioner. Fascinating. Fascinating. I'm really resonating with this. My, I've been working with a shaman for about six months now, and we've been talking about the same theme, um, soul fragmentation when trauma occurs, especially in childhood. And he, one of the rituals he gave me to do was just to prepare a meal for the the childhood self, the fragmented to, to invite them home, knowing that it was safe to come home to the body. So I find that, I don't know if you find the same thing with my clients, myself, that sometimes the heaviest emotions start to come up when we're in a really good place in life because our whole system is saying it's safe to come home. It's safe to experience or bring up what's coming through. Um, I'm ready to process this and it's okay. We'll get through it. So I always try to encourage people, like even if darkness starts to come up or a memory gets triggered or trauma comes up, like what a blessing it is to have it come through now when you're in a place of safety and can move it through. So I wonder if you find absolutely. the same thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, it'll be like, I'll be like what? Like, it's like, just it there'll be times where I know that I have like a deep grief mm. and I'm like, all right, this has served me. And I'm not saying I chose it to create art, but it inspired me to create art as a way to exercise it um, and integrate it. But then I'll be like, all right, like this is, this isn't even from this life, you know? And then I'm like, this is, this is deep. It goes yeah. back to those contracts. I told you that I, you know, healing on a collective, but it's funny because the times in my life where I'm like the best is when technically a person has enough resources to be able to have these things move forward. And so there's this not bittersweet, but there's this like a conundrum or, mm -hmm. or um, a paradox, if you will, to where the it, everything really just happens in layers. That's really what's going on. But it is funny how when a, a being has enough resources to process something, that's them finally having things move forward into their conscious mind that they did not have the wherewithal before to process. So I definitely feel you on that. There is this like, but 
but but I'm fine. I I, I I'm doing well. <laughs> it's like bam. <laughs> <laughs> and also with like the I, nature of healing being cyclical, like things will come back again and again with just a little bit of a different, you know, perspective or iteration of it as like rereading a book. I always say it's like rereading a book when a different part of healing comes back for like the fifth time. Um, but Sarah, thank you so much for being here. I feel like I just got a brain massage. Like I love talking to people who can just get me to like think beyond what I know. So I appreciate your wisdom and I'm excited to keep following your journey. Um, if people are just getting to know you from listening to this, where can we find you? Yeah. So you could find me on YouTube at the alchemist. I should come up. I'm very happy to be making videos on YouTube at the moment. Um, I come out with one every Tuesday at 9am Pacific standard time. And then you could also find me on my Instagram at the dot alchemist, where I post funny memes and just random stuff and sometimes esoteric knowledge. But typically, I just save my energetic reserves now for creating my videos. So yeah, excellent. Thank you so much. For all right, my friends, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us today. I hope you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life. And as always, everything mentioned is linked in the description below. And final note on my end is that I'm running full moon circles every month, which is so exciting. It's the perfect opportunity for us to come together as sisters and community as we navigate the different cosmic energies at play. So I'll take us through an oracle card reading, we'll do journal prompts together, and then I'll take you through a guided hypno journey, which is like a beautiful visualization journey for about 30 minutes. So come in your comfy clothes, light a candle, bring your journal, and just get ready to have a really nice time together. Um, I'll leave the link in the description below for the next one. And if you have any questions or just want to chat and get in touch, I'm on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore and at the lifted podcast. Okay, thank you so much for being here. And I will talk to you on the next one. Bye for now.